Good Sunday morning, everybody. I woke up one morning and it was cold. A little brace in the air. Well, my name is Eric Orr, and it's my good pleasure to welcome you this morning to River City Church. We pray that the Lord will give you everything that you came for, and more importantly, everything that you need. So here at River City, we join the global church in teaching and reading through the Revised Common Lectionary. Now, the lectionary is a set of scriptures that progressively move through the entire Bible over the course of three years. Our reading today from Psalms is from 119, verses 137 through 144. And these verses are based on the Hebrew letter, Sadi. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Let us pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for telling us, Lord, that when we are small, you are big and strong and that your promises are faithful and true. Father, we ask you to pour your spirit out on everything that we do here today and help us to praise you with everything that we have. We love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Um, as we head into prayers of the people, that, that song, the chorus of that song is, I've decided to follow Jesus. And um, just a couple days ago was All Saints Day. And I want to give space for us as a community and as a body to give voice and to honor the saints that have gone before us and have lived a life and said, I'm not turning back. And because of their walk and of their relationship, we have been greatly impacted by them. And so if you, if you have had a saint in your life who chose not to turn back and decided to follow Jesus, and if your life and your faith has been directly impacted by that, would you in an honorary and celebratory way call out their name that they, that we may be encouraged and may we remember them well. And so if that's you, would you be so brave and kind as to call out the names of the saints, of the people in your life?
what a blessing and an honor it is to have known these people and because of their faith and their walk and how they invested in the people in this room, my personal faith has been encouraged and affirmed. And so I get to join in with you and thank them as well. So we say thank you. And God, we thank you that you are always faithful and always true. And I thank you that we have had millions of saints go before us that we know and we don't know. And now as we carry the mantle forward, may we have the opportunity to be that to others someday. Around the world, there is great um, persecution in the church. Countries and churches who worship and praise your name in great fear. And yet they are faithful to worship and praise your name. We pray that you would surround them and comfort them that you would give them the strength and the perseverance to endure, that their eyes would be locked on the cross, knowing that you are worth it. Burden our hearts to pray and to lift up and to intercede for the church outside of our own personal needs or our own walls. Protect them. Be near to them. Around the world, in Britain, in Lebanon, in Chile, in Ecuador, in China, there is protest. Just seems to be chaos in so many countries, whether it's political or fighting for injustices. God, we ask that you would comfort them that you would bring peace, that you would make clear the space where the church is to rise up and to step in. Give them fortitude. Remain present. In California, there's wildfires wreaking havoc. The Bahamas still recovering. Japan still recovering from the typhoon, natural disaster after natural disaster. In the midst of distress, may you be the one to lend a hand and be sovereign and meet the every need, bring comfort, bring hope and bring a tangible, tangible needs that they were of where they are at. We pray for the political climate in the United States, both federally and locally, as we head into a pretty intense um, political season. God, I pray that as believers, that our tongues would be one of love and justice and patience and gentleness. That above a political party, may we raise the banner of your name. In every conversation we enter into, whether it's agreement or disagreement of a political stance, may we love our neighbor as we would want to be loved. Give us compassion. 
Allow us to listen. May our hearts be turned to pray for our leaders in Smyrna, in Cobb County, in Georgia, in the United States. Appoint the people who would walk us down the road to your kingdom that would point us to the cross, that would bring justice. We pray specifically for the River City community. We pray for Natalie, that you would enter into their treatment plan as she has been diagnosed with cancer. May you bring healing to her body. Would you bring comfort to her? Would you bring comfort to her parents as they are suddenly navigating a road they never expected? Would you bring comfort to Jackie's friend who just lost her mom, that you would comfort her in their mourning, that you would send people to them that would weep with them. We thank you as we recall on the saints that the story does not end here, and we are grateful for that. May we be reminded of your faithfulness long before us and knowing that you have said it will only continue. Be near to us as we are present with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So yesterday I was at a softball game at 10.30 a.m. and my daughter's team got destroyed. It was their last game. And there was one girl on her team that I kept having just an interesting kind of like what's happening in her. And she got up to the plate and she struck out the first time. And when she struck out, she kind of had this like really solemn look on her face and Walked back to the dugout, and I was like, huh, I mean, that's sad that that happened, but she doesn't seem to be handling it terribly. Got up again the next time, and same thing happened, and her face almost got more intense going back to the dugout, but very stoic. And then it happened a third time, and I think she was actually the last out of the game, and she was making her way back to the dugout, and it's the same. It was like, man, is she not bothered at all? Um, And then at the end of the game, the coach came over. And the coach has, has been a great coach all year, really kind, not really care, doesn't really care too much about winning, which is it's something for me to have to really deal with, but it's more important for a seven-year-old girl to learn how to enjoy life than win. So he's always kind of been stoic as well, but so as, as he gathered his team around, it was kind of odd, and he was like, guys, and he just started bawling. And, and I know, it was, it was beautiful. It was odd, but beautiful. And the girl that struck out three times, it was like, she had been given permission, and it just like waterfalled. And I was like, how good are you at hiding? So I had this realization at like, how young are we when we decide we can't truly be who we are and feel what we actually feel? This is a seven-year-old girl. I would have believed she was totally fine with it. And then seeing her cry turn into a laugh was like, what is happening? What is happening here? That's not something I plan to share with you other than I think that one of the things we've been talking through lately is becoming a people who would be missional, but also be formational and creating space to be formed by God. But we don't let people get past the surface level stuff to the deeper things. And that's like all of us, right? That's why when we ask each other questions in the beginning of our relationships, we, are, we start it where we want it to be. What do you do? Right? Like, and we talk about, well, here's what I do. And we're good with talking about it. We don't ever start it at a place that says more than just a little bit. 
how are you feeling today? Like to a person you've never met, like, no, we're not, we're not about to do this. You're going to walk away now. What's, what are your passions? Like these things don't happen usually in any part of relationships because we've become so good at letting the underneath stay there and continuing to live our lives. My fear, honestly, is that we just, and we're good at it, church people, non-church people, at living at a surface level place our whole life. And then all of a sudden realizing like, what did I just spend my whole life on? Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the search for a relationship. I've had three conversations this week about people wanting a future relationship. And I remember thinking, as we grow as people, there's always this thing that if you could add it, you'd feel like you're good, right? When you're younger and in high school, it's where you're going to go to school. When you get in college, it's what? Where are you going to get a job? When you're kind of getting close to the end of college, where, where, what is it? Who am I going to dance with? No. Hey. And the, kind, the idea is that the thing that's added will finally like, get you over that hump and bring deep meaning, right? But as good as those things are and can be, none of those things do that. None of those things are meant to do that, right? I also don't understand why we're expected to make the largest decisions of our life when we're basically like an extended teenager. Who are you going to spend the rest of your life with? I think it'd be great if you decided that when you're 15. Wouldn't that be awesome? Because you know a lot about yourself when you're 15, right? Even when you're 20 or 40. I don't, I'm not equipped to make big decisions. I'm 42. Right? So today, I'm trying to bring it back around. Last week, we talked about stepping away from false things, and we used the idea of the Pharisee that had to step away from his rules, and we used the idea of the tax collector who had to step away from his regrets, and one of them presented themselves to Jesus in a way, or Jesus presented them in the parable in a way that was self-reflective and admitting kind of who they were, and so this week, we're going to talk a little bit about Zacchaeus, okay? Who's heard of Zacchaeus? Who had to sing a song about Zacchaeus in their life? If you know it, start it right now. That's crazy. Variations. I'm going to be honest with you, I have never heard the song. I've had so many people, I promise you, people have told me all week about it, so I figured it was real, but now I know this is a real thing. Did you all learn it in Sunday school? Yes. Presbyterian Sunday school? Where about you guys? Presbyterian Sunday school? <laughs> what in the world? Did, I, did you not take me to Sunday school? You had it on a cassette? Okay. All right. I don't, I don't remember it. I promise you I don't remember it. So I think that's cool. But today we're going to talk a little bit about him. Before we do, though, um, I want to say the heart of this passage. Every time that I preach, I have such a temptation to say something so interesting that I almost don't know when it's happening because I'm so interesting, right? No. But my my desire on a stage for you guys is to share what the, what the text is saying 
And it's, it's not a flat read. So what is the text saying today for you about Zacchaeus? And I think it has to do with identity, and I think it has to do with belonging, and I think it has to do with kinship, and I think it has to do with the way that Jesus approaches us and pursues us before we know it. I think it has to do less with what you do to finally get Jesus to understand and, and fix your life, and more to do with noticing the threads and the narratives of your life that he's already been speaking into and realizing where he's been. And so when we read this passage today, my hopes are that you just become aware of the ways that you have settled into rhythms that are even offering you identity. And you've settled into these places that, that you know aren't sustaining. And some of these places look so good. Some of them even look like my family or how you do Christianity. Some of them look like the position that you occupy or want to occupy. Some of them look like the person sitting next to you. Right? Some of our identities are so built in false things like shame that we don't even know how to look at them. We just know that they always surface and we don't know what to do with them. So my hopes are that today that you could see and sense how Jesus is inviting you into a place where your lostness can be found. And I just want to clarify the term lost. If you've ever been in church or if you grew up in church, you've heard people talk about the lost, right? And I've never truly loved this because if you happen to be a lost and someone's telling that to you, that puts you in an awkward spot. But if you look at the Greek word for this, it actually means, the actual word is apollome, and it means being destroyed or being actively killed. So the word used here for lost is someone who's being destroyed or actively killed. It's less like, let's encourage some of these lost people, right, to not shop at Target and to not say bad words, and more like, does this person that God is bringing before me understand the way in which they're being destroyed? It, it rephrases the whole argument of how you approach the people that God brings in your life, Right? It's less about making them say a prayer that alleviates the possibility of eternal punishment and more about helping them to see how they can live a life right now. It's less about making a living and more about living a life. The trick is no one knows because no one can see these things in themselves. And according to the Gospels, we're blind until we have the light of Jesus. And so saying, speaking to that part of people before they even know what's happening, is like the dumbest thing ever. So something has to happen to a lost or person being destroyed that wakes them up in such a way that says, what's being offered is actually better than this. That doesn't come through convincing. It doesn't come through arguments. It comes through something happening that really gets their attention, like what we're going to read about Zacchaeus. For me, it came in a real way that was tangible to me that wasn't just because I was told something. I had to see it real time. And all of the people in all of our lives have to see it in such a way where it's actually real. And when you start having those kinds of conversations, it's not just like this. It could mean that you're called to a people or a group of people for 20 years to be the tangible voice of God that shows them, oh, they really don't despise me. They have seen all along 
that I am being destroyed, and they are here to help me out of that. But until that happens, there's, and sometimes it literally happens like that, and you're like, oh my gosh, how did that happen so quickly? And then we write a book, and we try and do it like that, and people run away from the church. And sometimes it takes, you know, just the people in your family, 20 years for a brother or a sister to really understand. And sometimes it takes walking people through the false narratives that even the church gave them before they can hear the truth, right? Like your behavior will make you saved. This is stupid. Behavior changes after beliefs change. Beliefs change when real things happen. And so when you start talking about the gospel and what we're called to, if we are called to the lost, it looks very different than just a thing that we go do. It looks like understanding and listening. And that makes me excited. But I also get that you in this room are in so many ways lost today. And in so many ways, unable to see it. And in a lot of ways, unwilling to even look because you have spent time building something that has kept you safe in so many ways. What if Jesus was to say, I'm trying to lead you out of whatever that is into something that would actually be like life? Most of us would fight it. Truth spoken, most of us would fight it. But what we see in Zacchaeus is something different, I think. But I'm going to read to you Luke 19, 1 through 10 really quickly. If you want to open your Bibles, that's awesome. If you don't have your Bible, you can just read along with me. This is speaking of Jesus. And just for you to know how cool that things have kind of mapped out this week, the passage directly before this is actually the Bartimaeus passage, which is what we just did our birthday prayer around, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, that. Out of all the passages in the Bible, we're talking about Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, the two interruptions of Jesus on his way to do the thing that would change the world. When he wasn't intent on doing those interruptions, he stopped for these two people. Bartimaeus, one, because he was blind and he needed to receive sight, and he was able to verbalize that, and then he was able to get up and follow, right? He didn't just receive sight and was like, deuces, Jesus, enjoyed it, have fun on your journey. He was now a different person. And now we see Zacchaeus, who's the second interruption to Jesus on his way to do the most important thing ever, and this is what happens. So he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree, as we all sang about earlier, to see him, Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, who is they? The crowd of people. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord and the crowd, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So if you'll pray with me, Jesus, I thank you 
I just thank you for today that your word, it's not just something that we just take a couple facts out of. What this process is right now is interaction with the spirit, the body of Christ, the logos, community, with God who is not held by time, with the Holy Spirit who can lead us to you, Jesus, and also reveal this is an interactive, vibrant playground with the holy. And so God, help us to understand how sacred this moment is with this text. That this is not just a story that a guy is reading, but we are a community chomping on the words of eternal life that will last throughout history and even beyond. We thank you, God, that we get to do this today together. So you can open your eyes. A couple things about Zacchaeus. Of course, like we have this story of him in song. I don't necessarily know why he's mentioned as a short person. I've never really understood short people. I've always been really tall. Um, I'm like five, nine and a half, which is uh, above the uh, worldwide average. I don't know if you knew that, but I'm, I'm a good two inches above that. So amen. Um, I've, if you say, if you add the halves on how tall you are, I think that means you're short. Like the, <laughs> who else adds how point what you are? <laughs> I think that means that we're just short. I'm pretty sure. I don't know why it says this, but I love that it gives that Im- imagery. Um, so the first thing you need to know about Zacchaeus is he was rich, which... That's not something to just be ashamed of. If you're rich, and there are lots of rich people, that's something you probably enjoy having. And the second thing about him is he is a tax collector, which we know in other scriptures are referred to as sinners, and it's actually the reason why people would say you're a sinner. If you're a tax collector, it's basically like a loan shark on steroids that could charge whatever they wanted for anybody to pay taxes, and whatever above they had to turn in, they could keep for themselves. So this this man is the chief of those in a city. So it's important to know this about him because he probably doesn't want to be in a crowd because when he's in that crowd, the narrative of who he is, right? Have you ever been the person in a crowd when everybody knows something about you? I I remember when I was 12 years old at Shaw Park, I was playing baseball. I decided that I would hit a rock into the parking lot. I shattered a dude's glass on site and everyone in the park knew that I was the kid who did it. So I didn't want to play baseball there anymore because every time I showed up to this park, I was the kid who broke somebody's windshield out and I paid for it by having my mom pay for it as a 12-year-old, which I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I was, I was then in that setting called Rock, which like was, that was my, so my name in this group became the thing that I did wrong. It's like, come on guys, I'm only 12, right? Like I can hit a rock really far. That's also something good but you want to focus on how I destroyed property, right? Uh, Another time, I I was at a friend's house, and I took some money from his sister, which after I decided to give back, but, and this is true, I actually didn't. I left, I came back to my car, and I showed mom, I pulled it out of my pocket, and I was like, dang it, she saw that I had it. I had to go in and tell the whole family, I took $20 from your house. And every person said, you should probably feel a little bad right now, but I'm just kidding. (laughs) She did the right thing. I would do the same thing. But I also became, so now I was rock and thief. And those two identities, man, not only are they not fun, they also paved the way for other things that come from those that maybe I wouldn't have chosen if I didn't believe so strongly what the crowd was saying. So when Zacchaeus steps into this crowd, the narratives of who he already is are bubbling. He can feel it, right? Because he's despised. This literally says he's despised. And so when he's in a crowd, first, he probably doesn't enjoy being there. And secondly, Jesus is passing through one of those. So he has to make the decision, 
is this scenario worth me being in the midst of a crowd to see this? So something about Jesus had already stirred his attention so much that he was willing to be in the sea of narratives about who he was to maybe see. And we know a couple things about it. You can pull up the next passage, Matthew eleven nineteen. We wonder if he heard this. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Maybe he had heard beforehand that this Jesus would actually befriend him. And so what he does is he goes into the crowd, he realizes in the midst of the crowd, he won't be able to see, right? So what does he do? What does he do, guys? Climbs up a sycamore tree. This is actual footage from the scene. <laughs> Live satellite. So this is a, a de- depiction of him climbing up a tree to see this action that had to happen, right? Like, he heard, there's a possibility that this Jesus person, who I've heard all kinds of things, is coming in. I now, because of these interactions, I have to get into the crowd and figure out a way. So he actually runs ahead of the crowd, climbs up a tree, and is able to see when Jesus comes by. So this is when the interesting thing begins to happen. Jesus looks at him, says his name in the midst of this. And because of that interaction, everything changes. I've talked about this in the past couple months about how when you name something, when something's given a name, there's an avenue for things that weren't before. That's why when people walk by and they're like, hey, bud, how you doing? Hey, biggin. Hey, stud. Hey, stallion. I don't maybe. maybe. <laughs> Depending on who, you know. Hey, <laughs> hey, chief. You know, like these, these names we give to people to keep intimacy from happening, right? Jesus had never seen this person, and his first thing to say, Jesus' first thing to say to him was his name, right? He's probably not heard his name in a while. Jesus says his name, and instantly something starts. So, really quickly, a couple things about God naming, right? Who gets to initiate who we are? Who gets to tell you who you are? Not, no, this is more just, because many of us already believe we know who we are, right? Who gets to say who you are? Who, Who decides for you, right? Coming now, it's more important than ever, I believe, to know who decides our identity. Listen, when I was a teenager, like I could show up wearing like all kinds of goth stuff and all of a sudden be a part of a community. Or like I could start listening to like The Cure and be like, there's a group, I could probably enter into a group, or 311, right? And like I found a crowd. I could, I could be a jock and that would be enough of an identity for me to like appease myself as I don't know. It's very different now. It's now to the point where we're saying to people, You can decide who you are as a six-year-old. And that's because we don't know how to do this as adults. We don't know who we are. So our children are looking at us and saying, well, you don't know who you are, so I'm going to be who I want to be. How do we get to a spot where Jesus gets to tell us who we are? 
Do we have the kind of connection with him when people see our interaction with him, they would desire him to tell them who they are? Right? This is not for me. Like The, the way that a church can really harm is to come after all of the people who have decided their identities and brought them to Jesus and not realize it's the people that are teaching that need to show how you do it. Who decides who we are? What are you going to spend your life involved in? How are your kids going to know? How are you going to know? How do you know right now? Just if, if above all of our heads there was a sign that flashed who we thought we are. Like, if that was out, who am I? Think about the names that would be on those signs. Failure, thief, leavable, lonely, alone, empty, right? These things, I I imagine with Zacchaeus, he had already had these interactions. He's rich, but he's also lonely. And he's already thinking, there's probably something better than this. And this Jesus figure that I've heard about that's probably working on his behalf even before he can see it is working his way into Zacchaeus' life and he's attentive to when that happens. He creates a space to say, I don't know right now, but I'm willing to do a couple things that could speak into that. I'm willing to, to push past really awkward understandings. I'm willing to push past societal expectations. I'm willing to push past who others are saying that I actively am right now. And because he does that, he's able to hear a Savior say his name. And then in the most peculiar Jesus move that I've read up to this point, Jesus invites himself into his house. We've heard Jesus say to people, come and follow me. But he says to Zacchaeus, actually, I'm coming to your house. And maybe there's a certain type of person who, if he were to say, come and follow me, wouldn't come right now. So maybe for some of you, He's not saying, come follow me, because he already knows. There's things connected to that statement for you that would, that would surface things that don't need to be surfaced. So maybe he's saying to you, invite me into your home. I'm not asking you to be something you're not, but I need to be near you to show you who you are. Because even though Jesus said his name in person, I don't believe that was all that needed to happen. I imagine them going back to his house that night, and in the most uncomfortable, beautiful, Jesus. I just imagine it being a space where all fear is dissipating. It's the kind of communal setting where you don't feel like you need to be on guard from everyone. I don't feel like at the end of it, Zacchaeus was like, listen, super good having you over. Like it was, I really enjoyed, I I even love what you stand for. Like I feel like it's inspired me and I just want to say thank you. And no, I, I imagine what you probably imagine. Zacchaeus is now following Jesus because what Jesus is offering is way better than any of the other identities, including being rich, but most definitely being rejected, right? Like we can look at Zacchaeus and be like, yeah, nobody wants rejection. Nobody wants to be despised, but he also is rich. So he's not just walking away from the idea that people despise him. He's walking away from thinking money can fix that. It can't and it won't. He's being confronted with his two realities and identities, and he's having to say for himself, these don't compare. Like, Jesus, where would I go? You have the words of eternal life. Where would I go? So this is, this is kind of what I'm feeling for today for you guys. 
are you able with me to look at the ways you're lost today? Because it's not us versus them. We're not all the found ones in here, right? Like, wouldn't that just be great? No, it wouldn't be. We're the found ones, and all those people are the lost ones. Let's print out a bunch of things and tattoo this city with the info of Jesus so that they can be saved. The reality is lost people have to be found in here. And the way that you're lost is the way that you're being destroyed. And can you be honest about where you're being destroyed? Can you be honest about what you weep over with your close friends? Can you be honest about how you truly see yourself when you look in the mirror? Can you be honest about what it feels like to feel like all those people on that side have these close relationships and I never seem to be able to get into it? Can you be honest about looking online and you have your own kids and you already made their clothes this week and you're like creating your own line of baby food and you have every single beanie that's ever been made? Like, but you don't feel like you're them. And can you be honest about the fe- just the feelings of complete purposelessness you have when you compare yourself with other people? Can you be honest about the things that have been in there since the beginning? For me, very real thing. For me, this is where I share too much. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the time in the service where the pastor shares too much. I have always had a false narrative that I am completely leavable. This is a true thing for me. And the way that this surfaces is when I don't feel like I've done something well enough, it will make people leave. That's a false narrative that is alive and well, and I have to basically kill it every day to believe the true narrative. That is not that, because that can happen, and that doesn't affect my identity. You can leave me. Everyone can leave me. Jesus is not leaving me. My identity is secure because of that, and I hope that there's God community around me for the rest of my life that can speak the words of eternal life to me and remind me that I can confess and be filled and be free and not have to live in false identities, but the truth of my everyday is that has always been there, and I think it might be in people who grew up in all kinds of sports where everything was win or loss and everything was over-celebrated in an area that's a game. Gosh, if you don't believe that's true, just go visit any local Little League field on a weekend and watch how crazy people are. Not the kids. The kids are like, huh, huh, huh. The parents are like, you go, fighting one another, being kicked out. So I, I know my false narratives, but I now know my real narrative, which is I am a son who was chosen by Jesus. I am a part of his family. I belong. I don't have to fight that fight anymore. So when those false narratives come back and do that, I can say, well, this feels really real. This is true. This is the truth, right? So here's my invitation to you. Maybe you're in that middle area. My guess is that most of you are like, I really think Jesus is probably good. And I really think like he's asking more of me, but I'm in a space like, do I, I don't even know how to give more. Like, when people talk about give your all to Jesus, as we sing, what does that even look like? Does it mean that I, as Rachel said before service, does it mean he just wants me to go do things I don't want to do all the time? What does it mean? Here's, here's, my, here's my, this is what I think it means. I think it means it's time for you to run on ahead and climb up a sycamore tree and get your head out of the noise and the narratives that are telling you who you are right now. Now, that's got to be in a real way. Not in a too real way where like we look outside later and you're like climbing up a tree. 
but in an almost real way where you recognize that your week has so many voices telling you what to do and that if you cannot immerse yourself in Jesus' space, you'll never hear the words of eternal life. And not just from me. Like, this is good. But he has got to speak those things directly to your heart. He's got to look at you and say, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight, and that be all right. And you'd be like, all right, come on, come on over. What is it? How do we do this? What, what do we even do? And you spend time with Jesus. And if you don't know how to do that, good. That's great conversations to have. But who is, if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to spend the time to do that, who are you letting speak into you and tell you who you are? There's not a version where you just do the Jesus thing later. You're saying yes to another thing right now that is really good at telling you who you are, really good at telling you where you should feel shame, really good at telling you how you should be proud. You're not like them. You're not like them. I mean, I, I want to create that space, but I'm not like them. I'm not like those people. I come to church on a Sunday sometimes, like, like once a month. Like, I, I come. I'm a part of a body. I believe the Bible's true. I want to be in heaven. Are you living a life or making a living? Are you living a life or making a living? Because if you want to live a life with Jesus, he might ask you to do things that seem so stupid, but so beneficial. Right? To become a follower of Jesus as his disciple, to step away from being distant and kind of hearing about him. Man, that's what I believe he's asking us to do. So even if it's just for the sake of of the kids in your house, or for me, the next generation. And it's not just for people to see you do it. That's, that's another false narrative, but it's for it to really happen. Step away. This is my prayer over you today. You know if you need to step away to hear the words of Jesus. You know if you're being destroyed actively. You're good at acting like you don't, but if you're being destroyed, let him speak the words of eternal life to you. What does that look like? How do you do it? Meet with people. Break bread with people. Invite people to your home. Sing a song together with someone about Jesus. Read a passage together and you don't know how to do that. Do something. Spend time in an unnormal for you setting, creating space for him, right? This is how we grow. If you can stand with me. Worship, you can go ahead and come up. So just, if you, if you wouldn't mind just putting your hand over your heart, if you're comfortable with that. I want to do a prayer with you where I ask God to highlight how he has been working. So before we step into that, God, we just reject any type of shame or words of religion that have harmed us. We don't reject that we need to hear and be transformed and that we don't have all the right thoughts. We don't want to reject that we need to actually listen to people who are more mature than us, the saints you've brought into our life. We don't want to reject that 
you actually speak things that we don't want to hear at times for our behalf. We don't reject that. But we do reject that you're always that person to us because you're angry. And we say yes to a Savior that can see us in the middle of deep narratives that we've lived in for years and years about who we are and say our name in such a way that draws us out. Father, I love how we see in Zacchaeus this idea that once he does receive his identity, it changes the way he treats his fellow man, which I think is a part of being saved. It's not just about Zacchaeus anymore, but it's about those around him. God, we know that you have to do in us what you want to do through us, but we also know we're really good at faking telling people what to do without having it done ourselves. So please, God, help us to create space. If it means we stop serving in some ways, if it means we stop acting like we have it together in some ways, if it means finding a counselor to speak to, setting up a rhythm, if it means having a tough conversation with our spouse, if it means sharing here the lies I've believed for so many years, I don't even know how to get away from them. But take us past the surface to the deeper conversations, God. So as Jesus walks into this room, he walks up to you. Then your eyes are closed. And he walks right in front of you. And he walks over and he holds your hands. And he says, that's not you, those things you believe, but I would like to share some things with you. Ask him who you are and let him share it with you. thankful that you didn't just tell anyone a code or certain behaviors to start doing but you shared with them about who they are at a much deeper level just for the next few moments create some space to just interact with your father going to pray over you as you go today that my certainty of how he feels about you is so much love and my prayer is that you can connect with him and start to believe that so Jesus I pray that we would walk as sons and daughters who are belonging in your family and not acting as orphans who don't belong but saying yes to something that you gift us with not in something we've earned So if you need to just hear my words, if you don't believe it, know that people in this room believe it for you. And sometimes that's how it is. And so Jesus, we lean into that and we're thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.